Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Now, part of the path to becoming a product master is developing as a leader. Leaders of product management need a few things like agility, influence, trust, empathy, and a motivating vision. And those are exactly the topics that our guest, Roman Pitchler, explores with us in this episode. Roman is a product management expert specializing in digital products. He is the author of several books, including his latest titled, How to Lead in Product Management. His popular blog is also available as a podcast, and both can be found simply by searching for his name, Roman Pitchler. And as always, remember, we take notes for you. The notes are a great way to review key points and also share those points with colleagues. You'll find those at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 289. We're also trying something new recently, and that's to create an action guide, a one-page PDF to help you take action quickly on the tips, on the insights, the strategies that you hear in this episode. You'll also find that action guide for free at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 289. Now, let's talk with Roman. Roman, thank you so much for being part of the Everyday Innovator podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Chad. It's nice to be here. Glad you are, and glad we can talk about your work. I first came across you a few years ago in association with Agile Product Management, probably because you had a book on that topic uh, that came out about a decade ago, one of the very first books you know, uh, about this notion of Agile Product Management. So I'd like to just start there with a, a definition. How do you describe Agile Product Management? Yeah, how do I describe Agile Product Management? So I'd say it's uh, product management uh, infused or enriched by Agile practices and Agile principles. So ideas like having uh, an empowered and respected product person um, who interacts with users, customers, stakeholders, and the development team, taking advantage of incremental an incremental uh, development process, an iterative incremental development process, I should say, <laughs> the ability to test ideas uh, quickly and, and frequently and to uh, realize value as uh, early as possible. Things like uh, treating the development team as an, an equal partner and encouraging people to co-own certainly the product details and the solution and helping with discovering product functionality and, and describing uh, the product details and generally embracing a collab- collaborative mindset and mm. uh, trying to get people's buy-in and leveraging people's uh, creativity and, and knowledge. So those are, for me, important elements of agile product management. But, you know, maybe just to sort of contextualize certainly my, my book on agile product management, when I first started working with product managers, that was in 2001, in the context of a healthcare company and we were building a brand new healthcare product, I was, I was shocked by the level of in a way, bureaucracy, I'd say, that I encountered. So the processes were very old school, very waterfall, very sequential. There was not much going on in terms of collaboration, particularly not with the development team. It was very much like we write all the requirements up front and then we throw them over the fence. And so, you know, at that stage, I was really concerned and I was thinking, wow, you know, how, how do those uh, new, back, back then, pretty new, brand new <laughs> agile practices, you know, how do they, you know, how will they ever work with the type of product management that I encountered? So in a way, the book was my attempt to, to offer an answer. Uh, how can product people benefit from agile practices, but also to a certain extent, 
how will products people have to change you know in in order to to be successful in this brave new agile world mm-hmm. yeah really good background the the context for this was software development i'm mm-hmm. curious just over the years have you found i don't know if you're getting involved in products that also have a hardware piece to it or if you see this get getting used more in that hardware sense Yes, yeah, I've been involved um, in products where the hardware was developed uh, in parallel to uh, the software, mm-hmm. and um, I have I have seen companies apply agile principles and practices to hardware development. And certainly, the idea of uh, very very short cycles and fast iterations is is harder to realize when 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 hardware is developed. But I'm, I'm not a hardware specialist, but I mean. Certainly, the agile principles for me are largely universally applicable. I, I'd say, and then the practices I think need to be adapted depending on the type of product that is being uh, that is being developed. I think so too. It struck me that uh, Robert Cooper, who's the one that did the original research that led to StageGate, and is known mm. kind of you know the father of StageGate, when he wrote his update to his book in 2018, which is what winning at new product maybe might have that title wrong but i think that's it he he and there shared that he sees scrum used in every hardware company that he has encountered you know recently mm-hmm. so embracing agile type practices which i think is more than anything to me i think it's just that notion of we should be experimenting and learning along the way and not trying to figure it all out up front that's right. Yes, yes. You're absolutely right. And I think that's sort of one of the key agile principles, really, maximizing value creation by figuring, figuring stuff out early and not shying away from, you know, certainly early, early failure. Good. And now it's uh, 2020. As we're talking, there's a lot of weirdness going on in the world that we're all aware of. Mm. Um, it's end of April. I think listeners are probably hearing this end of June, early July, that kind of time frame to just provide context for the everyday innovators. But you have a book that just that you put together and published uh, early this year titled How to Lead in Product Management, Practices to Align Stakeholders, Guide Development Teams, and Create Value Together. Great subtitle there. Talk about your experiences that led to seeing this book created. Right? How did you go from agile product management to saying we need to really help uh, product leaders? Yeah, nice question. So I, I think the product management community has changed a lot over the last uh, 15 years or so. And I think for the better, I think we've uh, benefited a lot from things like you know, Scrum uh, and, and Agile, but, but equally lean startup and customer development, business modeling, and, and other new uh, ways of working and other schools of thinking and, and the related uh, tools and templates. You know, think about things like the business model canvas or the lean canvas, the value proposition canvas, the product vision board. I mean, there's so many great roadmap templates out there now. Think about Slack, think about Trello and Jira um, and all the tools that we uh, take for granted today. But I think what's what's received less attention is the soft side of product management are the soft skills, the people skills, the leadership skills, particularly for practicing product people, you know, sort of practicing product managers, product owners, people who have to make tough decisions about products and interact with development teams and stakeholders. And so my experience uh, suggests that, you know, while the hard skills are are important, you know, things like being able to do some market research and maybe conducting some user interviews or creating a product strategy and validating it, doing some road mapping, prioritizing the backlog and all those good things, they're not enough. So I think if we if we focus overly on the, the hard skills and neglect the people skills, the soft skills, the leadership skills, I think it's hard to succeed as the person in charge of the product. And so my book really wants to offer practical help for product people but at the same time my intention was also to to generally draw more attention to what i consider to be an important part of product management i was messaging with 
uh, a product manager earlier today and he said to me, oh yeah, you're really right. Product management really is 80% people, 20% technology, and you can easily learn the technology. <laughs> I thought that was a really neat way of, of summarizing it. And so, yeah, I very much share that view. And, and so that's, uh, that's where, the, where my book has come from. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I often think of these soft skills as no, nothing soft about them, right? Th these are the hard ones that are to learn and put into practice. <laughs> and they're the ones that make the difference. They're the ones that help people accelerate their careers and their effectiveness, not just on getting the work done, the tasks done, but the work with others. Right? So really yes. important. Yes, yeah, I, I really agree. Roman is sharing great leadership insights with us, and we'll get back to hearing more in just a minute product management leaders, they're making investments in their product managers, helping them be more knowledgeable, productive, and higher performing. Some of these leaders are choosing to work with me to get that higher performance using my RPM experience. That's the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. Several companies are seeing results. Not only are their product managers getting on the same page, learning a holistic framework for improved product management, they're also collaborating with each other like never before. The RPM experience takes place over web conferencing, making it ideal for geographically dispersed teams. Also, it's fun and engaging. Participants often share that they have never been part of such a different and enriching experience. I have a couple spots left for groups starting in August. Get the details and schedule time with me to discuss your needs at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now let's hear more from Roman. So let's talk about some of the issues that do come up, both in our roles sometimes as product managers, we face these, certainly as product leaders to varying degrees. And the first one I wanted to uh, kick off with you, th there's been much discussed about this, but still there's product managers that like to refer to themselves as the mini CEO. Mm. And if you've been in the role for any length of time, you quickly recognize you're, that's so far from reality. You may have responsibility for a product as a CEO. You have no authority to actually you know, make things happen, uh, which mm. is very different from a CEO. So help us with this issue of dealing with the no authority and yet having that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think you know you're touching on a very important point here. As you said, as as product people, we don't have any positional authority or a transactional power, right? We can't make people do things. We can't uh, tell the stakeholders and the development team members what to do. We can't assign tasks, and typically we can't offer any incentives like a bonus or a salary rise. But we rely on people's work. We rely on people's contribution in order to succeed in our job and make our product successful. So the uh, answer for me then, given that's the case, is you know to, to encourage stakeholders and development team members to uh, move in the same direction is to uh, try and influence them and try and get people to listen to us and get people to follow our advice, our guidance. And that's only possible if people trust us, if people believe that we have good, good that, that we act in their, their interest and that we um, uh, care about them and that, that, pe that people have faith in us. So for me, trust is, is the, key, the key element here, the key enabler to be able to align people, guide people, lead people successfully. 
So let's dive into trust a bit more. We have to have influence. I, I personally think this is a good position for leaders, regardless of their level of authority, right? Mm. To lean on influence as opposed to positional authority you may have, just because the title or role might allow you to provide incentives to people and also punishments, including you know, maybe firing them. I, I think organizations work much better when you take a more transformational approach and you're trying to influence others and trying to treat them like volunteers. Which means as product managers, that's perfect training ground to become an effective leader, right? Because that's, mm, that's truly our situation. When it comes to building trust, what have you seen are ways to help, help facilitate that? Mm. Yeah, so trust trust is, is is truly crucial, and in order to to build it, I think the first thing that I'd like to suggest is to to try and reach out to people with empathy in it and try and empathize. And and for me, that means developing a kind, warm hearted attitude towards the people and taking a genuine but respectful interest in the person and being concerned for her or his well being. Now, that's easy when we uh, agree with what the person has to say and when we find the person likable. It's much harder when we disagree, maybe strongly disagree, or find the person difficult or uh, not very likable. But I think empathy is not about approval. It's not about uh, agreement. It's just about accepting, about acknowledging that this is what's happening. And by um, empathizing with somebody, not only do we then um, stand a better chance of discovering what's really going on for her or him. So, you know, what are the underlying needs and interests and goals? What's the underlying motivation? But also it builds trust. People feel people feel valued and people feel appreciated people mm-hmm. feel accepted and i think that is that is crucial and and again it's a it's a prerequisite for encouraging people to change for the better and for for getting people earning people's trust and and related to empathy is uh, listening uh, listening attentively and uh, listening with an open mind i mean sometimes it's referred to as active listening or deep listening so I'm trying not to be overly critical and judgmental when uh, somebody uh, speaks to us, but really making an effort to be there and uh, lead with presence, be present for the person. And again, that builds uh, trust through people feeling heard, people feeling understood, feeling valued, speaking and acting with integrity. So uh, saying what we believe is true and acting accordingly, uh, sometimes easier said than done. I remember I uh, had I once had a boss and we were working on a, a new product development effort uh, in the telco space and it wasn't going too well. And so he, he could be a very nice and kind person, but he could get also pretty grumpy. And so as things weren't going too well, he was getting more and more irritated and more and more grumpy. And so I certainly started to sugarcoat my messages and started to tell white lies about the progress. And yes, yeah, that data doesn't look that good, but you know, that really it's, it's not going to be that bad and we'll be able to recover. And so in hindsight, that wasn't appropriate behavior. And it indirectly supported his his way of responding to bad news, which was really kind of sort of trying to penalize people rather than appreciating that people actually, you know, report an issue, report a problem. So, you know, that there's something we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And then things like, you know, getting to know people, hanging out, our backgrounds, family situation, they do influence us. And when we get to know people better, it's easy to understand why they uh, react in certain ways and why they say certain things. And, you know, it can be as simple as uh, going uh, and having coffee together, or it could be something, I think that Pat- Patrick uh, Lencioni suggested in his book, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, sharing failure stories, uh, mm-hmm. sharing f- Failure stories shows vulnerability, builds trust, and that can be can be pretty powerful uh, if it's done in the right way. 
And finally, things like strengthening our product management expertise. It's hard for others to, to expect to, to trust us and follow us if there are gaps and you know, significant weaknesses in our product management, in our product man- management knowledge and skill set. So I think that's also something that, 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 that can be worth looking at. Very good. So, so let me practice empathy and, and active listening there. So what I heard you say was that empathy is really important. It's not about agreement, but it's about just understanding, right? Hearing what they say. You talk about listening carefully, that we're really engaged and we're listening to them. And, and a lot of time we listen with the intent of speaking next. So we're actually thinking about what we're going to say instead, listening to what they really said talking about integrity and giving maybe the hard news at times, but, you know, saying what is true and honest about things, getting to know people. I love that. The, just the ability to develop rapport with people helps you in the future, right? People that you have rapport with are more likely going to give you attention when you need help and attention in the, in the future. And then having those, the skills and capabilities, right? Get, getting better at our craft as time goes on. Yes. Yeah. Nice summary. Thank you. Nicely paraphrased. Well, thank you for laying all those out. There's two I would add that I'm sure you have encountered as well. One for building trust. I always find it's very important to follow through on what you say, right? Mm. Actually deliver on on your commitments. Mm. And if you find you can't deliver on a commitment, be forward about that before the commitment has passed, right? And so what's going on. And the other one is borrowing trust from others. There's times where I've built trust with someone and they were able to, in a very quick sense, right, impart that trust to someone else that I needed them needed to trust me, and you know, leaning on that that existing network to build trust with others. Then, yeah, Wonderful. cool. Okay, Th- thank you for sharing all those tips on trust. Another issue that comes up is aspects of product vision, and mm-hmm. it's you, you talked about having the influence that we need, and part of this is getting everyone kind of moving in the same direction together, right? Working on on the project in a way that's well aligned. And that comes, for me at least, comes through product vision, that we have this common goal in place. Tell us about about creating that, about how that's useful, how we can leverage that better. So product vision for me really describes the positive change a product should bring about, uh, the ultimate reason for creating a product. So an example I like to use um, for a product that helps people become more aware of maybe how much they eat and uh, what they eat and and when they eat uh, will be healthy eating. Yeah, so, you know, that's the positive change we'd like to bring about. I mean, so, you know, sometimes a good way I feel to to kind of uh, come up with an effective vision is to think of it as a very a generic, generalized value proposition. Yeah, the ultimate reason for creating the product, the positive uh, change it should bring about. So as for me, the vision really is maybe the most important goal for uh, in, a, in a product context. It's, it builds the foundation. I feel it's particularly important with this goal, with this inspirational, uh, motivational goal that the stakeholders and development team members buy into it. So if you uh, don't have the support from those individuals for the vision, then coming up with a shared strategy and roadmap and product backlog will be even harder. Right, because the strategy in my mind describes the way that we're choosing in order to make progress towards that vision and bring about that positive change. So a great way or a nice way to get people's buy-in and at the same time leverage their collective wisdom and ensure that there is a shared understanding is to have a workshop, a collaborative workshop and you know, kick off a new product development effort with a, a visioning and strategizing workshop where you create the initial vision you know, and an initial product strategy that then forms the basis for further product discovery and uh, strategy validation work. 
And uh, when you go through, say, a lifecycle extension and make a major change, a major update to an existing product, again, it's worthwhile revisiting the vision and saying, you know, is that still what we're working towards? Is that still like a valid overarching goal, like a North Star, something that generates some pull? Or do we uh, want to have to make any any adaptations, any any uh, adjustments? So it's, it's really about collaboration. It's really about joint, you could say, co-creation, certainly when it's a new, new, new vision. And it's about collaborative decision-making around that goal. And collaboration does have its challenges, but I think it's worthwhile giving it a, a good, good shot. As, 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 as I said, it's, it's so great when it, you know, it's so great to, to get people's buy-in and, mm-hmm. and really make sure that people move towards that that vision and it's not just lip service and people are like yeah 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 whatever yeah i've heard it yeah so what <laughs> but that that it becomes the shared the big shared goal everybody's everybody's moving towards that's a really important point that buy in changes sharing a vision with someone where you know it's up to them how they're going to respond to that vision you share with them uh, instead of them being part of actually developing that vision mm. and having that collaborative workshop where you get people to contribute to the idea is so important for that buy-in. It just changes the di- dynamics quickly on our project. Who would you have involved in that, right? So we're trying to influence the stakeholders, the, those the associated with the, this product in some sense that have an interest in it. Mm. Who would you have in, involved in that collaborative workshop? Yeah, so for me, as you as you said, it'd be the, the stakeholders, the key stakeholders. So for a commercial product, that'd be typically somebody from marketing, sales, um, supports, maybe finance, uh, maybe operations, and development team representatives. So I think it's really important to get a good representation and bring all the key people on board to anybody you need in order to design and build and then also market, sell, and provide the product. And that gives people an opportunity to influence the product at an early stage, be it a brand new product or a major product update, but it then also creates a connection between those individuals and with the product. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, finding the right group of people and building a stakeholder community and keeping then that, that group together and helping that group work together effectively is, is a key success factor. And I think it's something that's sometimes overlooked by, by, by product people or underestimated. I mean, you know, particularly in an agile context, there's a lot of focus on working with the development team, which is great. And I think there are lots of benefits in building a good relationship mm-hmm. with the development team members, but the key stakeholders are equally important. And so I think, you know, product people need to build those two types of connections to the, to the stakeholders and to the development team members. And again, it's kind of nice to find the the right people and then have a stable group that works with with you on a continued basis you know helps you with product discovery helps you with strategy validation helps you with product road mapping but then also at least you know once a month or so as a rule of thumb shows up at say sprint review meetings and looks at how the product is evolving and is able to offer feedback and can can use that in order to align their own and manage their own activities say marketing and sales related activities yeah that's really good is this the product team or is this different than the product team? So personally, I like the term product team to refer to the stakeholders and uh, the development team representatives plus the product person or the group of product people who manage a product. But then, you know, product team is quite an ambiguous uh, term, it seems. You know, some people use product team to refer to a team of product people. So, you know, I think... 
Yeah. I mean, my, my suggestion is people should use whatever term they feel most comfortable with. If, if product mm-hmm. team works, that's great. I mean, I, I, I wrote about stakeholder community in, in my book because I felt that was a more neutral phrase. But yeah, I mean, I, I tend to talk about product team when I, when I, when I talk to product people and when I, when I, when I, when I talk to clients. Okay. Is this collaborative workshop to kick off and develop this vision? Is this six to 10 people? Is it bigger than that, smaller than that? I think it depends on the the type of product and uh, the structure of the organization. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you have, you know, the, the at least one product person, right? The product, the person in charge of the product, and then say for commercial product, marketing, sales, support, uh, maybe finance, and then you have two, three development team members. So then we're talking about eight people, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I feel for those kind of workshops, it's kind of nice to keep the number to you know around ten people or so. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to get full participation and. You know, some people may may get hesitant to contribute, and you may get a few individuals dominating, simply because of the the nature of the group and the, the size of the group. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say try and try and try and sort of limit the size to ten if you can. Yeah, I think this is a really important tip that you just shared about you know trying to have this collaborative session. Sometimes, as product managers, we might go work individually with someone in marketing, individually with operations, individually with sales, and getting them together. A lot more happens at one time because just the synergies of that. The other thing, though, organizations typically, as much as we would like to design them to work as a system, more times than not, they actually work as as independent functions, right? Mm-hmm. And and some we might say silos. And, and it's not like marketing is fighting against you know engineering or development. They just don't tend to work together a mm-hmm. lot. And they have their own interests. And getting everyone together, those key stakeholders in the same room. That helps going back to building influence. That helps uh, and trust to build rapport and get people sharing information in ways they probably don't regularly, um, except from outside product. Yeah, no, no, I think you're absolutely right. My my microphone, sorry, apologies, keeps changing. <laughs> it has, has a mind of its own. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, this is rock solid, but today, but what's wrong? Yeah, yeah it's so. been one of those days, listeners. I, I we, we started late because I had all kinds of problems with the recording today, but this is going well now. <laughs> so, cool. Technology, huh? <laughs> exactly. In the 21st century. So, yeah, so yeah, getting that, that group, those groups together. Yes, and I think it's very beneficial for this for the, the individual stakeholders to hear their respective ideas, concerns, and uh, listen to each other's needs. And, and so that, again, that builds understanding, it builds relationships, and it frees the product person from becoming sort of a little bit like a broker mediator who goes, from, you know, from one stakeholder to the next and tries to persuade and sell and and convince. However, the the challenge can be when you have people who are not used to collaborative workshops and teamwork, or can be very dominant um, or very senior. And and expect that others follow their leads that they want to dominate and they want to take over and and so i found it can be very valuable it is very valuable to first of all prepare the workshop and secondly try and find a skilled facilitator that might be an experienced scrum master agile coach who guides people through the workshop and establishes maybe some ground rules or reminds people of ground rules if that's helpful but also encourages full participation and encourages people to speak up and thanks people who've already contributed quite a bit for their effort but also then reminds them to give others the chance to to be heard. Um, so that the person in charge of the, the product doesn't have to contribute actively because I feel that's what the individual should do. Um, and at the same time, having to facilitate, I think that dual role can be, can be, can be, can be, can be a lot. Again, particularly when people aren't used to collaborative decision making and collaborative workshops. So, yeah, get a get a skilled facilitator to support you. 
Yeah. And it goes back to the importance of soft skills, right? That, that, that's mm-hmm. a soft skill to be able to guide a group in that manner. Another aspect that you talked about, so everyday innovators listening, when you have created that inspirational vision and maybe your manager has, has said, the vision is to make money, right? It's mm-hmm. like just pouring cold water on it. Um, because you, you described this as it needs to be inspirational vision, right? And, and I think that's very, very important. Not always managers see things the same way. That, that should not discourage us, right? We, we still need to get this done. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, any any product needs to make money in one way or the other. I mean, either directly gener- revenue, generating revenue or indirectly generating revenue or reducing cost or increasing productivity or increasing brand value. I mean, at, at the end of the day, in order to be sustainable, monetization has to happen in, in, in some form. But I think at least as important, if not more important, the product exists to not only create value for a business, but also for you know a group of people, the users right. and customers. And so I think it's nice to have a, a vision that isn't purely focused around kind of business goals, but but really talks about uh, it's, it's more altruistic and talks about the the positive change that you want to bring about for the beneficiaries of your product. Yeah, exactly. I liked how you how you framed that earlier. The the positive change, right? It's mm-hmm. how we're delighting, how we're solving the customer's problem, how we're creating something that they will love, uh, and in turn, that should generate value for us as well. That's right. Okay. There's many other topics that you go through in your book and topics that you've encountered in the last now, I guess, uh, 18, 19 years of of doing product work. What is another topic you would want to leave us with that's, that's high on your list when it comes to being an effective product leader? So in, in terms of fundamental capabilities or qualities that we can kind of, kind of train ourselves in, I, I think empathy, which we've already covered, the, the ability to understand people and be, be accepting, uh, even if we disagree or even if we dislike. So I think, again, that's really something we can strengthen, we can train ourselves in. And then I, I find, and you know, that's maybe a, a personal perspective, but I find mindfulness uh, very helpful. So bringing some awareness to what is going on right now, what is going on right now for me and, and the ability or an increasing my ability to stay present, uh, be in the present moment and you know, become aware of um, my emotions, my thoughts, the mood I'm in, my biases, my, my defaults, my preferences, my triggers, my needs. And what I find is that this um, gives me more choices and it makes me less likely to say something uh, or do something that I later later regret and then mm. you know, I'll have to apologize. You know, I mean, none of us is perfect. And I think as human beings, we'll always make mistakes. It's, you know, I think it comes with being a, a complex social entity as, as we are. But I think by just bringing a little bit more awareness to what's happening right now, we, we give ourselves a little bit of more choice and uh, we, we can be less reactive and more responsive. Mm-hmm. So for me, those are, those are sort of fundamental enabling qualities that I found really helpful. Yeah, those are very good qualities. They align well with this notion of emotional intelligence. Mm. And, and there's good research on emotional intelligence. It's all those things you talked about, that the, how you characterize mindfulness, how we see ourselves, manage ourselves, how we see others, how they see us, how we manage that, that relationship. And there's good research that suggests leaders that are good at practicing those skills, emotional intelligence, are twice as effective as leaders who don't. So that, that, that's a great one to rise to the top of your, your list. I'm so glad you shared that with us. Yeah, thanks. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. What did you bring for us? And tell us why you chose that one. Yeah, so the, the quote that I chose is from uh, Carol Dweck, and uh, it's from her book, Growth Mindsets. And it says, a person's true potential is unknown and unknowable. 
and it's impossible to foresee what can be accomplished with years of passion, toil, and training. Mm. Now, the reason that I like this quote a lot is that I find we tend to see ourselves as good or bad at something and sometimes have sort of a quite a fixed view of who we are and what we can do. So um, a simple example I like to share from my own life is I tried to bake a cake when I was, I think, 12 years old and made an effort. It turned out horribly. My mum came into the kitchen and said, like, oh, my God, what's that? And it wasn't really – you couldn't really eat that cake. It wasn't, wasn't a proper cake. And, you know, that sort of somehow uh, triggered the belief in me uh, or caused me to believe that I can't bake. And, you know, only decades later uh, did I try baking again and discover that while I'm still not a master baker, I can now bake cakes that are – you know, edible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, we often we often have those beliefs that, you know, we've acquired over time and then hold on to them, but they can be very limiting and they can be very limiting in terms of personal growth, learning and development, but they can also be limiting in terms of taking our products forward. So we can become very attached to what our product does at the moment, what it looks like, what it's good at, who it serves, how we make money, that we then sometimes uh, overlook opportunities for innovating it and for changing it. So it's uh, for me, part of what then leads to what Clayton Christensen referred to as an innovator's dilemma, not on an organizational enterprise level, but more on a personal level. Mm. So by by developing a growth mindset and uh, seeing ourselves as um, malleable and changeable, certainly our our mind and our emotional and intellectual capabilities, I think we we allow ourselves to tap into uh, more into the true potential that we have as human beings. Yeah, yeah, very good. I love how you described that as you're uh, telling, telling us about the quote. I was going back to things that we talked about earlier, too, just about in the beginning, it's hard and soft skills, right? You know, the, the hard skills, you can pick up a tutorial and learn some of these hard skills. The soft skills, a little bit more nuanced, and we learn those more through experience. And we, if anyone, you know, everyday innovators, if you feel weak in either area, whatever that may be, this is such a great quote to remind us that growth is always present, always possible, and it's just the effort that is needed. We don't know where we're going to end up. You know, we put in some of the effort and make ourselves better. Yes, absolutely. And, and product management is such a rich and such an interesting but multifaceted discipline. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it takes a long time to master it and you know maybe it's maybe it's never possible to be an expert in all areas of product management and so you know but just kind of as you said putting in the effort and recognizing that you know we can learn and we can develop and continuing to develop i think you know that allows us then at least professionally to grow and the same is true for for the soft skills and the people skills that allow us to grow as a as a human being as a person Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for sharing all the other information. Your books are so helpful to give us insights, practical knowledge, tools that we can put in action. How can people find out about the work that you do and those books? The best place is my website, romanpischler.com. So you can find out about my books there. There's a blog, videos, templates that you can download. And I recently started my own little podcast. So yeah, just check it out and see if there's anything that you find find helpful. Yeah. And since people are listening to this podcast, they're inclined to listen to others. Tell us just a little bit more about that format, what they can expect. So my podcast, I'm not even sure that it should be called a podcast. (laughs) So it's not like a a traditional podcast where people are being interviewed and where there's a conversation. So what I've decided to do is offer audio versions of my articles so that people Mm. have a choice if they want to listen to the articles or they want to uh, read the articles. But for the lack of a better word, you know, I thought like, well, I'll, I'll call it a podcast because it is well, you know, a collection of episode, but mm-hmm. episodes, but every episode, as I said, is essentially an article that I read out. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. So if people want to get insights from you, they can go to your blog and read those. If they prefer listening, which many of us do when we're working out, doing other activities, they can go to the podcast and get those insights as well. That's right. Great. So romanpitchler.com, all the details there. Roman, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. It was really nice talking to you. And Roman, I have an extra bonus question for you. So th this has been a great uh, discussion about how product managers, you know, moving into leadership, deal with leadership issues. One thing that tends to be universal is time management. And product managers typically are putting out fires more times than they than not. They don't always know what their time is like when they get to work during the day. And we all want more time, right, to focus mm -hmm. on those things that are important in our role. Can you just share some tips, things that you have encountered that are helpful for time management? Thanks for asking that question. It's certainly, you know, something that very much resonates with me, you know, both in terms of my own work as well as, you know, I've been working with other product people. So the first tip that I'd like to share is focus on your core job and your core responsibilities. Mm. So an area where I see product people helping out and often helping out on a continued basis, certainly in an agile context, is um, a Scrum Master and Agile Coach work. Uh, many product people I meet don't have a Scrum Master Agile Coach who's adequately available and qualified. And then, you know, it's it's only sort of natural nearly, it feels natural to say like, well, you know, I can help, I can help the development team, I can help with the development process. And if they've got any issues, then you know, I'll try to be there and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try and coach. But what it does is it makes a, a challenging and a very rich job even more demanding. And I think it essentially masks an organizational impediment and, and, and opportunity to uh, improve as an organization so you know if that's the case for you i'd say and it doesn't have to be scrum master or agile coach it could be ux design or another area related to process people management and the solution design and implementation step back investigate the real course but you know try and focus on your your core job and then don't neglect the less urgent but important work. And those are things typically around product discovery and product strategy work, um, looking to the market, seeing what the competitors are up to, what are new trends, uh, technology trends and consumer trends, regulatory changes. What about the product performance? What are some key, how are your key indicators tracking? So make time for that. If you don't, if you optimize too much for the uh, urgent work, then you're likely to generate more work for you in the future. And you're likely to have to fight, do more firefighting and crisis management. Similarly, and sort of in line with what I said earlier, you know, don't neglect in, in investing in connection building and relationship management and the people side of your job. You know, same thing goes here. If you if you neglect to address address conflicts, then you know you'll have more work at the later stage that won't go away typically. Uh -huh. And then take proper breaks. You know, I think it's really interesting to see how professional athletes train and organize their their work. They train very hard, but they also do make sure they don't overtrain and they give themselves the, the the breaks that they need, that the body needs and the mind needs to recover to be fresh and have be able to then be you know show a top performance. And I think we need to do the same thing. And that could be that you you know do not uh, read emails over lunch. <laughs> But maybe go for a walk or go to the gym or mm. whatever works for you or do some yoga, do some meditation, but listen to music, do something completely different, but just mm -hmm. to step away uh, for a little while or that you, you, you sort of really limit yourself to how long you work for in the evening and, and learn to let go and learn to say no and put some limits in place here. So to uh, protect yourself and protect your mental well-being, empowering others, coaching others. 
and then being able to delegate work. So I sometimes think product people, particularly in an agile context, think they have to be uh, product backlog managers and user story writers and development team babysitters, but none of that is true. <laughs> so while it's important to attend to uh, the product backlog, I think you know it's also important to encourage the development team to take on responsibility and share. And over time, when you kind of coach and teach uh, development team members and you know if they're happy to once they've soaked up enough knowledge about the market and the users they can do some of the user story refinement on their own and so that frees up some of your time mm-hmm. and then maybe finally something you know along the lines of uh, time management and a little bit of self-discipline avoid task switching and time box your activities so for instance i find it useful to time box uh, emailing and messaging you know to like say 30 minutes or so in the morning and try and get that done and then close down all the applications and then focus on other work and, and and get that done and then say before lunch check again and then have one or two uh, time boxes in the afternoon where I uh, look at all my messages so you're not constantly disturbed and you're not constantly distracted and you're not constantly task switching that's ultimately better for your productivity and throughputs and it also uh, it's meant better for your mental well-being if you task switch too much then certainly that's what I find it creates a lot of restlessness and then it's harder to chill in the evening yeah. so you, you then crave for that stimulation that the task switching can bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're much less effective, but we feel like That's we're right. getting more done. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's a very bad cycle. Thank you for sharing all those. I, I want to just go back and highlight a couple of the, you know, focusing on your core job, your responsibilities. Product managers, we tend to be good at lots of things, right? That, that's mm-hmm. how we end up in this role. And we're able to, you know, pull things off because of that. So it's easy for us to step in and say, okay, no one's doing that. You know, I'll go take care of that, right? I, I, I'm pretty good at, at UX design. I'll jump in and help with that. You know, I, I can do some coding. I can actually do some messaging for marketing, whatever the task is, mm-hmm. as opposed to identifying some weaknesses in the organization that we need to firm up and think about that we need to build this system that is sustainable. And if we don't identify that, then people are never aware that we have some areas here that do need to be shored up. And the relationship building, you know, that goes back to the trust and the rapport also. And taking time for that to do the relationship building, having lunch with people, you know, different interactions, that might feel like it's sucking up time that you could use now for maybe, you know, talking with a customer, which is also valuable, getting through that to-do list you have to do. But that pays great dividends in the future. And I had this manager once that taught me such a good lesson in that he was well known for mentoring people that went on to other parts of the organization. So people would stay, some people stayed with him a long time and others would stay with him, you know, for the required 18 months, I think it was in our organization before they could switch jobs out. And he always encouraged that, right? He was helping people grow to Hmm. take on new responsibilities other places. And he, as a kind of a middle level person in the organization, had more influence than many of the executives, mm, right? Mm, uh, because that he had a very powerful network. Mm, mm, it was just great to see. So thank you for going through those added things on managing our time well. Well, thank you for, for asking the question. And again, thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure, Robin. Yeah, nice talking to you again. Thank you for again listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master. How do we do that? That's through practical knowledge that leads to more influence and then confidence so that you can create products that customers love. Find the written summary of the discussion with Roman and also that one-page action guide to help you put into action what Roman shared with you at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 289. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, 
please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.